0: Welcome to Witness to Yesterday, the podcast of the Champlain Society. My name is Patrice Dutille. One of the great delights of hosting this podcast is the opportunity to meet characters in the Canadian historical past that have been completely and unfairly forgotten. One remedy for this, of course, is the steady reading of the Canadian Dictionary of Biography. But great biographies are always the best cure. Today, I want to talk about Thomas Mackay, a man who played a dominant role in the Ottawa Valley in the mid-19th century. My guest to talk about all this is Alistair Sweeney, a man who's written a lot of Canadian history in his life. His first book was a biography of Georges-Étienne Cartier, published back in 1976. Among his many other books are Blackberry Planet, a book on the Blackberry Corporation, and more recently, Fire Along the Frontier, Great Battles of the War of 1812. His new book is Thomas Mackay, The Laird of Rideau Hall and the Founding of Ottawa, published by the University of Ottawa Press. We reached him at his office in Ottawa. Alistair, welcome to Witness to Yesterday.
1: Thank you Patrice, glad to be here.
0: You're the witness to history for this episode. What happened in 1838 in Ottawa? Or it was Bytown in those days?
1: Uh, yes, it was still Bytown. In 1838, he began construction of Rideau Hall, his uh, mansion. He had founded um, the village of New Edinburgh. Rideau Hall was t- beside the village. Uh, his daughter Elizabeth, who was a lover of Jane Austen's Regency novels, named the house after Rideau Falls. It became a government house because the original plans for the viceregal palace uh, fizzled. Uh, the cost of the parliament buildings went way over budget. So instead of building a, a viceregal mansion, the government bought Rideau Hall.
0: So if people want to see something of a legacy of Thomas Mackay, all they have to do is travel to the corner of Mackay Street and Sussex Avenue in Ottawa and they'll find Rideau Hall. There
1: it is. Much, much larger than the original. <laughs> uh (laughs) by the book you can see you see a picture of the original plus plus all the additions over time but it was a very comfortable country house they they people teased him by calling him a castle MacKay's castle but in scottish lore a castle was a fortified mansion so it was a castle i suppose
0: as I look back on your career, Alistair, it seems that various strains come together in this volume. Uh, long ago, you wrote that book on Georges Cartier. You looked at BlackBerry uh, BlackBerry Corporation and BlackBerry Planet, and now you're combining both business history and biography with Thomas Mackay. What brought you to this project?
1: Well, or- originally, uh, I-, I read um, an article in the Canadian Historical Review 90 years ago University of Ottawa chief librarian said it was almost inconceivable that such a man should have found no biography so far. So I thought I'd give it a shot uh, because he didn't leave any personal papers. So these are challenges, uh, uh, writing about these guys. So uh,
0: miss, there are a lot of mysteries. Well, what does this say about you as a historian? You, you like to tackle mysterious cases.
1: You know, I'm a bit of a, a detective. Uh, for example, nobody, no, nobody knows, I didn't know, that the entire cost of, uh, of of the Rideau Canal and uh, all the expenses of of the War of eighteen twelve in Canada were paid for with Mexican silver captured by the Royal Navy, you know the the British had a huge piggy bank. This is the War of eighteen twelve. Wellington was convinced, or he'd heard that the Americans were still considering an, another invasion, a better one this time, to capture Montreal. So so that, this was all part of a a continuation of the War of 1812 in some ways.
0: But I see this in your book on Mackay. There's a lot of military history. There's a lot of business history. There's economic history. There's social history. And on top of that, you've put in some biographies. (laughs) Were you forced into this approach by the fact that there aren't uh, I'm asking you a very Champlain Society question here about your about your sources. Were you forced into this because Mackay did not leave papers, even though this man was so important?
1: Well, the thread, the two threads, uh, Carche's thread and the War of 1812 thread both come together in, uh, of course, in the, in the uh, building of the Rideau Canal and also the founding of Bytown as the capital. Carche pushed that all his life. He felt Bytown would be the best place for the capital because it was right on the border between upper and lower Canada, Quebec and Ontario. And also it had a majority, back then, a majority French uh, uh, population. And also it was on the route to the west which Carche promoted the, the, the creation of the CPR which was gonna go up the west to uh, eventually as far as Winnipeg and uh, the Pacific. Uh, so Carche was as, as dedicated as Mackay to make, the, uh, make Ottawa the capital city. It was the only real contender in Carche's mind. So he, had, he and Governor Head hatched the Queen's Choice. Everybody called it, the, oh, the Queen's Choice. You can't go against the Queen's Choice. But this was uh, sold to Her Majesty by Prince Albert in the background. Uh, yeah, to some extent, um, you know, uh, the history of the founding of Ottawa has to be told through his works and what he invested in. He was a pretty straightforward businessman and mason. <clears throat> Very trusted uh, by the military, especially to do uh, military and fortification work. His first job, major job was uh, helping to reconstruct Fort Lennox on Nilo Kud in the Richelieu River, which, which uh, was a prevention against American invasion up the Richelieu. Or should we say, down?
0: Right well wait a minute let's let's not go too far in the history let's start at the beginning this thomas mckay is a scot he was born in perth in 1792 he immigrated to canada in 1817 so two years after napoleon is finally defeated at waterloo he's 25 years old who is this thomas mckay i mean where does he come from why would he come to canada uh, well the, pro- the problem in those days
1: was the Highland clearances were, were underway there were lots of refugees that came into Perth his father was a mason as well so his business in in Perth uh, really went down the drain and a lot of people in Perth and around, surroundings uh, retired military people had had been offered uh, land and and, uh, and support in Upper Canada particularly uh in in the ottawa valley because the british military wanted to settle ex-military people in the ottawa valley to protect it to, to act as militia against another american invasion so he heard that there was work to be had in montreal and uh, so he packed up he and his wife and and mother-in-law packed things up and went to montreal it was a boom time easily found work and uh, Became a, quite a respectable uh, mason. So. He was a very
0: good mason, clearly. Yep, yep. and well, a good a good manager of projects as well. Yes, I was going to say. I mean, he's more than a mason. He's more than a stone cutter. He's actually uh, he he also turns out to be uh, an important businessman. Now, one of his first associations is is this fellow John Redpath, who's also a Scot. Uh, no, in fact, he was born uh,
1: south of the Scottish border. Oh, okay. <laughs> but he, he he and his brothers went to Edinburgh, and he was trained as a mason in Edinburgh. Okay. He was four years younger, and uh, he so he was a junior partner. Uh, they, Mackay came to have a lot of respect for him and brought him into these projects. He helped out with the Lachine Canal, but he was involved in, for example, the... the uh, getting uh, stone helping to build uh, the Notre Dame Basilica in, in old Montreal. That was a huge contract.
0: Yes, indeed. So that's another piece of, of evidence of, of, of Thomas Mackay. We, we can actually see he didn't lay down the stones, but he cut them, right? Well, he probably got
1: contractors to, to do this stonework, the mortar, bricks and mortar, should we say. But... Um, they were quite uh, involved with the Sulpicians order, which were, who were the ancient uh, seigneurs of Montreal. In fact, the site of the Lachine Canal was a property owning to the Sulpicians. So uh, they, they had good relations. And Cartier, of course, was uh, chief lawyer or solicitor for the Sulpicians.
0: That's right. So there's a link there, isn't there? That's obviously the link. It's the link that, that, that ties into your own life, this link between Cartier and Mackay and yourself and the Sulpicians. Indeed. Now, you say that um, Mackay and his father had had some uh, canal building experience. They had worked on the Thai River in Scotland. So they come to Montreal and they, 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 uh, they work at Fort Lennox on Noir, as you say, demonstrating that they knew what they were doing. It leads to the, the Canal L'Achine, which is great, but Mackay decides to, to, to leave Montreal Again, you're saying that's because of his um, his his partly because of his ties to to Carcie, who wants to see Ottawa the Ottawa Valley being developed. Cartier doesn't
1: really come into the picture with Mackay, although the the uh, mayors and council of Ottawa thank him for promoting uh, Car- thank Cartier for promoting Ottawa as the capital. Right, but uh, Mackay was uh, you know part of the solution
0: all the way along. Next thing we know, of course, is that. He winds up building the locks uh, on the Rideau Canal in Ottawa. Again, I have to say it's not Ottawa yet; it's Bytown. Yeah. I have to keep remember it's Bytown. So uh, here he is in the late 1820s. He's building the locks on the Rideau Canal. Um, again, it's a huge contract. Um, why? What brought him to Ottawa? What was the point of building the canal in the first place? Well, uh, Governor
1: Dalhousie was very impressed with the Lachine Canal work. And I, I don't know, I, I have a sneaking suspicion that the Masonic Order was at work here because uh, Dalhousie was head of the Scottish Rite of Freemasons and Thomas Mackay, of course, being a real Mason, got drawn into this. So I believe uh, Dalhousie insisted that Mackay do the work on the Rideau Canal. And, of course, he did a brilliant brilliant job. It's wonderful. Uh, it's still a gorgeous sight today, the, the, the eight locks of the canal as they come up. But... Dalhousie was a military man. He was one of uh, uh, Wellington's generals in the um, Peninsular War. And he saw the Parliament Hill site as a potential site for a capital right away. He also saw it, if there was an invasion, going to be an invasion, as a place for a fortress. And they actually drew three or four sets of papers to make Parliament Hill into a, a fortress like Fort Henry, the twin of Fort Henry. But Dalhousie told a bystander once they were across the river looking at the hill... And he said to a bystander, would you not be startled were I to say that on those heights someday it will be the seat of government? So, I mean, way, way back, this is 1831, the British military were already planning either, either a fortress or, or, a, or a parliament on the site,
0: 1831. It is remarkable, especially considering there's absolutely nothing there. <laughs> Yeah, well, there was the well, you see, Dalhousie, a military
1: man, he right. he said he knew right away that this was a, a good place for a fort, a big fort.
0: Now you say in your book, and you said it earlier, Mackay will be doing the work, and he'll be paid in Spanish silver. Yeah, and he's paid a bloody fortune.
1: Oh yeah, he is. He is.
0: Well, you see, here, um,
1: here, I believe, yeah, he he, I estimate he was paid. Uh, probably 50 or 60,000 pounds, over $65 million in today's currency. So this man was, was set himself down in, in Bytown, Ottawa. Um, nobody else had money like that, and he had enormous buying power, and he had enormous influence. And, and uh, I believe he was paid that amount of money because uh, there was a trade-off. He was given responsibilities to be uh, you know a politician, a Miller, just to stay there and, and help the, the young settlement develop. From
0: this comes the subtitle of your book The Laird. I mean, he really is a Scottish Laird. He's, he's, the, he's the nobleman in an area that is basically wilderness and given the task of, of bringing to it development. Yeah
1: and he, he, he was a tough guy. He was a very tough uh, with his uh, employees. He, he, no, no nonsense guy. He had a light touch. He didn't uh, throw the money around. He uh, hoarded it to some extent. Well,
0: he's a Scotsman. I hate to say it. Yeah, oh sure, of course.
1: <laughs> They're all the same. But he, but he, you know, he built. Uh, uh, you know, he was concerned with his his masons. What were they going to do? And also, local farmers needed mill uh, mill.
0: So he founded a huge mill. Uh, Complex at Rita Falls. You say in your book he builds a a sawmill, he builds a grist mill, he builds a cloth factory, he builds a brewery. I mean, this is this is highly entrepreneurial. Oh yeah, well that was that was I
1: think part of the deal uh, uh, between him and the uh, between him and the and the British, and later on. uh, uh, Baldwin Lafontaine, cartier McDonald. The the you know the Canadian government also wanted him uh, to ma- make possible the creation of the capital in Ottawa rather than Kingston was uh, too close to the American border. Or, you know even though they had Fort Henry, Toronto, uh, forget it. They they already been invaded. Montreal was told by the military that it was uh, it would be impossible to preserve. And of course Quebec, the Quebec Citadel was the only. Uh, remaining place and uh, Upper Canada wanted a wanted it closer to uh, you know to Ontario
0: essentially mm-hmm. so it was the perfect spot for the capital. His, his career though tells us something about business and about business quality you know, again he's he's ridiculously wealthy but what does this tell us about the ingredients for success uh, in in the in the mid 19th century or the first half of the 19th century?
1: Well, he he shared he shared the imperial vision of the the British, and so did Karchi. Uh, um and and they uh, they didn't they didn't want to become Americans. They had this enormous continental uh, uh, continent to to uh, to exploit, and to, you know by that point. Uh, uh, the Red River Settlement was in operation. Uh, uh, they had militia out, out there and out there in Red River. There was a clear path up the Ottawa Valley to to Red River, and they had the, they had the money to pay for it. There's a very good quote from historian David Gates: "The British wisely hoarded a good deal of this Mexican silver, and a fortune in Mexican coinage shipped to Quebec in chests and barrels." Was used judiciously and wisely to protect the Canadas from American invasion. It was these dollars that saved British North America. The British uh, Navy, the Royal Navy, uh, made, made colossal fortune, uh, which turned into an imperial piggy bank, and that was judiciously used to uh, for military purposes. You know, Britain didn't want to, didn't want to lose British North America. British North America was for the military was very strategic. The the uh, the Royal Navy needed uh, needed uh, masts, needed wood,
0: needed oak. And Ottawa's got lots of that. Yeah, there was lots of that. <laughs> <laughs> Bytown is, is, is a lumber town at, at the beginning.
1: At one point, it was the largest lumber yard in the world. It was just, uh, yeah. But it was white pine, which is a very good wood for it. It's n- almost not free. It's... Uh, Useful for for making uh, a lot of things like doors and doors and windows and that kind of thing, and it was it. And also, there was oak and there was pine, which was uh, valuable to the Royal Navy. So,
0: following following again on his business career, he, we, he lands in Montreal. He's sent to Ottawa. Basically, he makes a fortune in Ottawa. Was he not tempted to return to Montreal? You know, he's planting a, a fantastic company town in Bytown. Did he cut off his ties to Montreal, or did that continue organically? Uh,
1: no, that, that continued. Uh, if you read my notes, he, he was told in 1843, MacKay was told, if you want Ottawa to be the capital, you're going to have to have railway connection with Montreal. So he had, he had two brothers-in-law. One one was involved with some crooks in Boston, and in, in, um, they, they were hoping to... Uh, cross, take the railway from Boston up to Ogden'sburg, and cross the Saint Lawrence and go up the Ottawa Valley, Valley which which Karchi would never have allowed. Karchy had uh, had a, um, uh, inserted an, an item in the BNA Act that the uh, the federal government, the cabinet had complete control over uh, border crossings. So that was railway number one. By that point, point it was such a disaster. Kaiser State went down the drain in losses on that railway. Kiefer, his other brother-in-law, said, "No, no, no. Uh, let's have a railway right to Montreal because we can sell the goods from the mills. We can sell timber in Montreal, but it was too late. They were they were broke. So that's where that that's what happened to that railway. But uh, it did allow." The British to say, okay, you have railway con- connection with Montreal, even though it was crummy. <laughs> so Ottawa could become the capital.
0: Well, he, at least he did manage, he still managed to do something. Yeah, oh, sure. The
1: fact that he would uh, put a bet on that railway, which was a disaster, uh, but at least, it, at least it ensured the choice of Ottawa as the capital.
0: So, again, we, we have a Scotsman who lands in Montreal, who winds up in Bytown, who builds the Rideau Canal, who makes a lot of money. Um, procuring material for the British, uh, for the British military, who's then prompted to to set up Bytown as a company town. He helps to industrialize it. He connects it. He connects it with railway as well as with the the canal. Um, He's also a politician on top of that, not surprisingly, um, he he sits on Bytown's municipal council. He'll never be mayor. He'll sit in, in the uh, legislative assembly of Upper Canada and then of Canada West. What kind of politician is Thomas MacKay?
1: He had a lot to do. He, you know, he had set up uh, judicial uh, judicial uh, systems in uh, Perth and Ottawa. And I suggested that Dalhousie and Colonel By asked him to provide work for masons, millers, weavers, and brewers uh, to hold himself in readiness to build a fort on Parliament Hill, a twin of Fort Henry, uh, to be serve as a member of the Assembly and the Executive Council, which was the upper house, to serve as colonel of the Russell and Carlton militias, so he was, he was a militia colonel. In charge of protecting the Rideau Canal and the timber trade, and he helped the town incorporate after the British military handed over Bytown. Finally, to invest in rail communication with Montreal. These are all the these are all the obligations he had. He didn't make that much money of, uh, of anything. And and for example, to be a member of the assembly, there were very few people who had the property qualifications. And executive council was uh, that was really the top job. So he, uh, he did things like, for example, he, uh, there were the clergy reserves that, that uh, benefited mainly the Anglican Church. He, he turned the clergy reserves over to the, the Catholic Church and the Presbyterian Church as well, and gave them a share of the clergy reserves. That, those kind of things he did, you see. He, he, uh, and he was pretty, uh, pretty smart at it. Would you qualify him as a Tory? Uh, no. I think he was apolitical, depending on which party was in power he, you know as as a member of the Executive Council he, he had a lot of he, he could say yes or no but for example um, there were uh, during the uh, you know the rebellion losses bill where the Tory mobs burned down uh, uh, burned down the Parliament well he was uh, totally opposed to that and that that was really though the Tories in Ottawa did the same same thing with the, their riots and so he uh, snapped down the riots uh, there, and he supported the reformers at that point. And later, later on, uh, he supported uh, the mayor of, of uh, former mayor of Ottawa, uh, Richard Scott, who became uh, minister in the Oliver Mowat, uh Ontario government to do something about all these, all these. Uh, towns and villages that were indebted from the railway mania. They were, you know, it wasn't just a disaster for Mackay's State. All these people lost money on the railroad. So all these towns and villages. So he set up a, a fund to buy them out uh, pennies on the dollar. Uh, the entire government
0: did. So. Fascinating. Now, but he's never really far away from his, I mean, again, as I read your book, I, I'm impressed by he, how he he maintains a link to Scotland, um, he's he's very much in the diaspora. Uh, what can you tell us? Can you tell me something about about his his um, his involvement in the Scottish diaspora from from distant Bytown? Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, oh, sure. Well, he he uh, he went back on a couple of occasions to Scotland and Perth. He, he founded something called the Bytown Immigration Society uh, to encourage immigration to Bytown. And many came from his hometown, including cousins. There were various uh, millers in, in New Edinburgh who were his cousins. And one ran a bakery and all that kind of stuff. He had a nephew from Perth who set up a lumber factory in, in La Breton Flats. Uh, he, he was a supporter of the Presbyterian Church. He built the first Presbyterian Church, uh, St. Andrews in the capital. New Edinburgh speaks for itself. It was a, a new... Edinburgh. He built housing for the mill workers. Um, he was builder and owner of the Rideau Falls Industrial Complex. He was a founding trustee of Queen's University. Uh, he wanted the, the, the university to be in, in Ottawa, but uh, Kingston won. That was to train Presbyterian ministers. There's a very nice fight between the uh, English and the Scottish. On Christmas Day 1852, he donated a silver medal to the winning team on the first ice shinty match between New Edinburgh Scots and the Bytown Sassanax, who are the Englishmen on the Rideau River. Uh, Shitty's an old form of field hockey, so it was kind of a field hockey. Played on ice. Yeah, played on ice. 1852. Uh, and uh, Scots won two to one. <laughs>
0: So he was That's a it. proud day for Mackay.
1: But but he 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 wasn't uh, uh, he was very close to uh, Elizabeth Briere, the head of the Grey Nuns, and in building hospitals, and he helped uh, Bishop uh, uh, Gigue found uh, Collège Saint Joseph, which became University of Mormon.
0: So his name, I mean, again for those listeners who are, may not be aware of of the various neighbourhoods in Ottawa. New Edinburgh is still very much uh, very much a presence, and it's now part of Rockcliffe Park, am I correct in saying that?
1: Uh, no, it's, it's part of, even Rockcliffe is now under under the, the rule of, of Ottawa, uh, but they're very careful to preserve it. You know, Rockcliffe Park now has about 70 uh, residences, the Ambassador Residences, diplomatic staff live in...
0: In Rockcliffe Park.
1: Yeah, Rucliffe Park. Oh, yeah,
0: which was which was his backyard when he was the uh, the Laird of Rideau Hall. <laughs> his improvements were more toward toward Ottawa. He he had a
1: beautiful cedar hedge, and he had a he was building a pond. I think he had a it wasn't a cricket field, but he it's now used as a cricket field in Western Hall.
0: Mackay died in eighteen fifty five, but he left quite a trace architecturally. Uh, we talked about Rideau Hall, but there, there's there's a whole m- much more uh, to to uh, Thomas Mackay, isn't there? Yeah, well,
1: the, he, he left a, um, a whole bunch of unemployed masons when he when they stopped the Rideau Canal. So Ottawa has all these wonderful stone buildings because there were excellent limestone quarries. and across the river, uh, Philemon Wright's sons built a, a mortar factory. To, in, in order to make a mortar for, for stone, stone masonry, you have, to, uh, you have to burn off all the, the, the water, and then if you want to make mortar, you, you add water again. So, so it was very easy to build with stone in Ottawa, so that's why you see all the stone buildings. Uh, the other uh, well-known one is Earnscliffe which was built for his son-in-law and it became Johnny McDonald's house and is now the residence of the uh, British High Commission.
0: Yeah, Ernst Cliff.
1: You know, this book was uh, hard to do because, like Car uh, Thomas MacLeod left very few personal or business papers. There, there's a very nice source in the McCord Museum, which is their business account book and correspondence. Uh, so that's useful. Uh, but I relied on... Um, um, you know, I relied on Rideau Canal people, uh, uh, Parks Canada ha- has lots of expertise, uh, Ottawa Public Library has uh, uh, lots of information about early Ottawa. Uh, so, um, you know, uh, so to be a, you know, a Sherlock Holmes about Mackay, it wasn't too hard, uh, but I, d- I don't expect his, his correspondence would have been that interesting because he was mostly business.
0: As I look back on your career, Alistair, it seems that various strains come together in this volume. Uh, long ago, as I said earlier, you wrote a biography of a, of a key businessman and a nation builder, Georges Etienne Cartier. You've looked at one of the most spectacular Canadian corporations with your, your BlackBerry Planet. Now you're combining both an interest in business history and biography with Thomas Mackay. What makes Thomas Mackay so important is the way he sheds, the way his life sheds light On so many different aspects of the founding of Bytown, the the development of Bytown, and of course as it as it matures into the city called Ottawa, that will eventually become the the capital of the country. The city of Ottawa is part of a broad transcontinental uh, phenomenon, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it it was it was the road to the west. It was on the road to the west. It had to be protected. It needed the British needed somebody they can trust, and Mackay was a very trustworthy character.
0: Alistair, thank you so much uh, for shedding such light on Canadian business history, the, uh, the linkage with Scotland and uh, the, the building of Bytown and the founding of Ottawa. Thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure, Patrice. Alistair Sweeney and his new book is Thomas Mackay, the Laird of Rideau Hall and the Founding of Ottawa, published by the University of Ottawa Press. Before we go, I want to remind our listeners that this podcast is made possible by the members of the Champlain Society, whose annual membership makes everything we do possible. Thank you. Thanks also to our growing list of sponsors, including the Hudson's Bay Company History Foundation, the L.R. Wilson Institute of History at McMaster University, and a consortium of Canadian scholarly book publishers that includes the University of Toronto Press, the University of British. British Columbia Press, McGill-Queens University Press, University of Regina Press, and the University of Ottawa Press. There's a way for you, the listener, to support this podcast. Please go to ChamplainSociety.ca to make a quick donation. The Champlain Society is a registered charity and will provide you with a receipt for any donation over $20, a tax receipt, that is. Any support goes a long way as the Champlain Society receives no government support for its operations, which always surprises people. And don't forget to support this podcast by telling all your friends in whatever way you prefer. My name is Patrice Dutille. This interview was recorded in the beginning of the Omicron COVID pandemic on December 21st, 2021, by our producer, Jessica Schmidt. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you next time.